What's going on? Tell me. People dying. Yeah. People crying. What is this? This is the post all-star tribute to like Stefano and Bono. Bono, I think P. Diddy, Sean Combs. Who else was in this? And now we're just watching the music video. Is that Gwen Stefani? No, it was Wait, so this was something that they did after 9-11? Yes. So it was like to raise money for FDNY or something like that. And now it's all them in the studio interspersed with the post- you know, Ground Zero. Did you know that um, there's the Backstreet Boys? There's a guy from the Backstreet Boys. AJ McLean. Please, yeah. Come on. Okay. Um, did you know that uh, Donald Trump Jr. had an affair with a member of Danity Kane? <laughs> and she's now looking very different than she did back then. I believe it. News hook. Wait, Danity Kane was the from the show, the reality show that he did. Was did, were they? They were like a Walmart, like a clearance bin version of Pussycat Dolls. Who were themselves <laughs> sold at Walmart? <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, Britney Spears is here too. It's got everybody. Bass. Oh, Backstreet Boys and Insync getting involved. Wow, crossover! Um, they really can do it. Do you remember, I remember an age, you know, as we're talking about the dissolution of society and all this stuff. Uh, it's funny to remember, like, some of the hallmarks of life when. Elite control was so unquestioned. You know, this is end of history era, and it was a time when um, <laughs> it actually kind of says something about the two party political parties. There was I remember thinking as like a twelve year old, like this makes sense. There's McDonald's and there's Burger King. McDonald's <laughs> has a deal with the Backstreet Boys. Burger King has a deal with In yeah. Sync, and and then there's also they split up Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears. Right, like there was. They just the illusion of, of cleaving in half. Right, Backstreet Boys, Instinct. Right, like you, you could, could sustain. You, yeah, yeah. You, you could just be like, okay, that's my flavor, Pepsi Coke. Like I could just do that. Right, like, it's, you know what it is yeah. actually. Now that I think about it, that the same exact strategy is between the Republicans and the Democrats, and it's that we know that um, we're we're elites and we're trying to synthesize stability in society, and what is stable is balance, and so we're going to invent balance by taking the same fucking thing and just making two of it, and they're going to be on either side of a fulcrum, so that you're, you have to choose between a Republican or Democrat, Britney Spears or Christine Aguilera, Coke or Pepsi, and the whole world is choosing, and if the whole world is choosing between Coke or Pepsi, there is balance in that, right. and, so, and, the, and that fulcrum will represent the, the mass cult, and that's going to yield stability. It didn't work. It didn't work, yeah. <laughs> as seen as, actually, since, basically, since 9-11, that has been a slow unfolding. <laughs> like, that that uh, that project has fallen apart. And, I mean, it's, I think, uh, now I'm going to misquote, I don't know if it's Gore Vidal, or somebody said, like, uh, the typical American arrogance is that they have two parties that have essentially the same, there's the same margin between the Democrat and Republican Party that there is between uh, the McDonald's and Burger King or yeah, Coke and what's and right? No, yeah. it, and uh, or you know, like <laughs> when I learned that Old Navy was owned by Gap, which I thought, you know, when I was in sixth grade, you know, it was cool to have. Actually, they were both cool, but they had different things right. about them. And when you learn that one is owned by the other, it's like, oh shit. Well, there's just like six companies in describes, America that own everything. everything. Yeah, you're like, oh no, I like this brand, and you're like, you could just point the straight, like even if it's just household products, you're just like, okay, this straight line to Procter and Gamble, <laughs> like, right, it's right. Just, or you know, it's like, but who runs the world? Beyonce. Beyonce, that's right. Um, and episode girls. sixty-one. How you doing, my man? Good. Um, it was kind of funny. Uh, Listening back, I listen back. To, I rarely listen back to these episodes because you do all the work and I just 
run my mouth and then hope that people listen to it. But I listened back to our last episode <laughs> because I wanted to get a perspective on uh, how we were feeling when we last recorded, which was in end of February, early March, early March, uh, early March. It was in the middle of March. So it was probably right. It was like I the, forget actually. It was. I think it, we launched it the day that I didn't go. I haven't been back to my office <laughs> since the day that that. Yeah. Uh, I've been working, um, but I haven't been. Oh, I've been to the office a handful of times, but I haven't been there on a daily basis. Yeah. I um shortly after that episode uh, was furloughed from my uh, company, which sold to restaurants. Mm-hmm. So that was a decimated <laughs> customer base. And I actually lucked out. So I, I've started, since started a new job, which is going very well. But um, uh, I lucked out because the day I got furloughed was the day that the $600 a week stimulus or like uh, unemployment insurance thing passed. Nice. And the day that it ran out, was the day, last day before I went to work. Perfect. So I completely. It's You're, not even. It's not even grift. I actually, you know, was it worked. Unemployed the the, the, was, tech, the technocratic solution worked for you. The, yeah, <laughs> but so you know, I was one of these people that was able to have an amazing quarantine. Like my roommate was was gone the whole time um, uh, until late July. So I had the apartment to myself, and I wasn't working, but I was also getting paid a thousand dollars a week by the government to sit around and do nothing. I was looking for jobs. I mean, I was trying to be a productive. It's a it actually is a, a reason why you should have social benefits because I was putting it into like putting money back into the economy and stuff, but it was, I was living very regally right? and knowing, and there was no FOMO because there was nothing to do. So I was just, I read the power broker. I watched a bunch of shows, stuff to watch succession. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was worry free for me. And so the only source of worry for me was, touching what was happening in the larger culture, which was just an unmitigated collapse of the empire, even accelerating faster than we thought before. You know, as you said that, and me thinking about as the empire collapses and all that stuff, imagine if we had had this at a time when it was a functioning society, and we just decided, let's just do this every four years. Like, we can just, hey, everyone can take a vacation. Like, it's that four, like, we'll, we'll print money. Like the money. purge. Yeah, the pur- except in, like a, like, a holiday kind of thing, where it's like, all right, if you want to keep working, you keep working. Or if not, we'll pay you a thousand bucks. Are you uh, referring a, to a pandemic? Yes, exactly. That's what, that's the idea. Um, but anyway. I mean, it would be good just for emissions. Like, I mean, I was right. joking we about, that. about that like, last time. Yeah. I joked about that on Twitter. Like, we should do what the Jews do and like commemorate something happening once, but like just all the time. Yeah. I guess every holiday, well, a lot of holidays are that, except for the Jewish ones are always about them trying to get killed. That's true. Or people trying to kill them. But um, or feeling sad. Well, because uh, of because their of running that, from somebody, point. yeah. But um, yeah, like every every decade, we should do a we should do a quarantine here where we yeah. just sit at home and like everything's closed. And I it think it saves, be, yeah, yeah. And it also, you know, one so one thing we were going to try to do in this episode was uh, look back at um, uh, what we quote unquote predicted in our other episode, um, purely because I think that it's valuable to do little time capsules. Like the last time we recorded an episode of Infinity License. Um, we were just trying to capture how weird it was at the time. And it was really weird. But it seems very long time for a way ago from now um, because um, just life has changed. And so the uh, uh, title of this episode is Halftime in America. The reason we're calling it that is because I think in my, my sense is that we've reached sort of the halfway point of this thing, not chronologically, but emotionally. Like the original wave of 
you know, the, the shock period, the sort of honeymoon phase where like, where like it was fun to stay inside and stuff, you know, it's all evened out. People have figured out a groove. Um, people have gotten used to, this is the new normal fully. Uh, like I remember one of the things that we talked about in that episode was like, I wonder if there's going to be a galvanizing song, which is why we made, we put that song at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. A the real la- galvanizing song. Right. Like there, there is, yeah. And we thought that there would be, and at the time it did seem there was like, kind of like you alluded to, there was this like novelty to it and people were like, oh, you know, there, there was a nervousness, but also like kind of this thing of like, okay, we're just going to stave off the virus by all shutting things down. Um, and there was also just like, we didn't know, there wasn't a lot, you didn't know what you had to do, like what was cool going into stores or not, like wearing, you mentioned right. wearing gloves, Huge, yeah. but now we just uh, reacclimated to, I just wear a mask every time I go yes. outside. And that is definitely a new normal where it's, it's amazing how adaptable we are because you don't even notice, like now I put on a mask without even thinking about it. And it's I not like, I'm still bad at it. Oh really? I, well, I guess it's cause I go out a lot with walking the dog. It's a thing. Um, but then you also the weird new normal in New York now too, despite what Fox News would like people might like weird relatives in the suburbs to think. Oh, I have a story that, for you about that. Oh, I would like to hear it because like you, I was like, you know what? If you took away everyone wearing masks, you would have thought New York City right now. Uh, this is in very early September, twenty twenty, is in this kind of weird renaissance where it's like oh well we just decided to open up some more alfresco dining <laughs> like in my yeah but uh, if you looked at i mean th- it, you'd have to look past the, all the closed indoor <laughs> right yeah yeah no i'm saying like look if you walk down certain your point blocks, is that it's it, not a hellhole no it's like, not it's, and yeah. It, yeah and there's certain like things that you'd be like this is kind of weird and if you if you just took away the mask thing and walked down certain streets, you'd be like, oh, like, and it would look just as empty as, I mean, New York City is generally empty in the summer anyway. It's like no, actually it's more. No, it's not. Yes, I, it is. I just, no, I, I'm, I, I'm. <laughs> Around here it is. It's not that empty. I mean, like, there's, there's fewer people, like, here's, okay, wait, to, to finish my point about the, um, the music thing, it was there going to be a galvanizing song. What I was commenting on was that there, was a rush. I'm justifying the idea that this is like the emotional halftime of this whole ordeal. Right. There was at first a wave of like artistic output um, by a bunch of people, and people like there was one of my favorite bands, White Denim, did a uh, like quarantine album where we're going to record this whole album in 30 days, oh, yeah. and it, they came out with it, and then they then the, then that's now we're still in quarantine, <laughs> and so the the like the wave of like we're gonna do it, this is crazy, and then it like stayed crazy yeah and now we're just still so now we're just kind of in the long guru part of it like it, we're just looking out onto the horizon like okay well this is my life now so that that was all i was trying to convey with that the thing about the the city thing and this is a, a good point um i do think that there are people that are moving out of the city what you're defending against is something that we actually also mentioned in our last episode which is that it's predictable that there are going to be mostly conservative people who try to make this disease of density uh, into a piece of evidence about why cities are failing. And obviously all the George Floyd stuff, like, uh, well, actually just in everything in the summer of like, that has included a good deal of looting, especially in my home city of Chicago, um, has contributed to, and obviously the this array in Portland work, which I think we'll get to covering all the stuff later. But it contributed to the idea that like, oh, cities are defunct and derelict. Yeah. And you're saying that they're not. I, I think what, what is that I agree with you on that, but it's also true to say that like the city is different. And I don't think there's any shame in saying New York is still a very peaceful place to live because it totally is. And it's, a, I've not felt unsafe one time here. Um, 
but uh at the same time like it's worth acknowledging that a lot of what you live in the city for is not available right now uh i kind of i just disagree with that <laughs> like i just kind of like i my life is i still go to basically the same more or less the same stores i go to no no restaurant that i regularly went to before this is closed actually i go to them more often because i'm home more often <laughs> like so i either ordered i ordered delivery from them i can't go into the bars that i normally go into but again they've converted and gone to outdoor dining again it could be a problem when the weather gets colder and all that kind of stuff um my I would say that like my life has kind of on net improved like since this like and there was like my my work was crazy certainly following in the the immediate um, aftermath of what the last podcast was it was I worked for a hospital it was crazy busy obviously there was a lot of stressful days in that March to April period but also now in New York the infection rate is like less than one percent there's no like it's not you know as long as you're generally safe yeah you can't go to a bar you can't go to a concert. I wasn't going to that many concerts before. Like my my nightlife before this like was not that crazy. So it's like I really only went to neighborhood bars, which are again, like I said, now only doing outdoor stuff. So just I would just say that like it's like uh, for and I live near Prospect Park, which is kind of awesome. So you can you can do social distancing and hang out there and chill and actually yeah, you know, like, Park like, has been a godsend. Yeah, it's, which is again another testament to like public spaces being yeah. a worthwhile thing in dense in in. Ver- urban environment. So let me ask you, um, to the extent that you can talk about it, what has your experience been like from a medical perspective? I mean, you're working in healthcare. Like, can you summarize what the whole, like this period of COVID has felt like from inside of that industry? Yeah. I mean, again, I don't work in a clinical setting. I did help out. I work in more of an administrative and data and technology perspective, but it, where, where I work, the hospital I work for, we did a great response. It was kind of crazy watching the data of, um, our hospital normally has a ICU capacity of just under probably a hundred beds that pre COVID um, they flex that capacity to quadruple that within two weeks. So that was like, that, that was, and that was probably following immediately following the last time we talked about this on the podcast. Um, everyone kind of came together. There was a lot of work. There was a lot of interesting information. Like there was a lot of solidarity among workers, both administrative and clinical. Um, there, was reading that data every day and then working on it was also very harrowing and stressful because you were just kind of like, oh, wow, this is legitimate. Like uh, one of the one of my really like sobering moments, I would say, when I was at the height of things, I volunteered on a weekend to go part, be part of the command center. And I had somebody from one of the clinical floors call me and just say that we were out of body bags. Oh, my God. And so that was a very sobering and kind of like, whoa, like this is kind of real. I saw, you know, the the normal hospital campus was completely converted. Uh, there were the refrigerator trucks. Again, seeing those uh, and seeing people getting uh, cadavers getting loaded into them was a very just like very real thing. Because I think that's another thing, actually, maybe uh, not to go on a tangent, but in an urban environment, you rather than like people that live maybe out in the country or live far away from hospital centers didn't really get to see because around here you got you heard ambulances going nonstop. Nonstop. And you, Every it, time I walked outside there's like three ambulances. I did like I had like oh I felt like a prisoner in like tallying one day because I had a notebook and I was just like every time I heard an ambulance I would just do it. Yeah. And so that was crazy. Um but like I think somebody that lives separate from it I could see and especially in a sp- spread out space I'd see how that those people maybe are like felt separate from it or didn't understand what was going right. on. Like and I could almost 
not sympathize, but understand their, their perspective of like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't see any of this. And if nobody in my life is being affected by it, then I don't know what's going on. But here, you, it was very visible. <laughs> totally. like, I think yeah. this touches on something that has to do with a lot of the way our culture is um, cleaving right now. Not, not just like coming apart, but just the way that the falls of gravity that it has. I think one reason why coronavirus is such an interesting, almost parable, like an Aesop's Fable style uh, Rorschach test for a society, for every society around the world, such that it's like a, a gravestone rubbing. Like it just lightly, it's this light uh, pressure on the society and how it, how it reflects, you know, in the society is really bringing out the the nuances and the the, the bar really for whatever. Yeah. Um, the reason is because it is a, it's a disease of density. I think you're not supposed to say that anymore. I think that that's been like disproven but whatever i think i'll still think it's true because it spreads more among places that are denser whatever and so it really mimics information the spread Mm. of information it mimics the spread of mores you know Mm. like and so uh the same way that like you need more legislation if you live inside of a city than if you live in the country because in the country you are on your own so personal responsibility you're you're the cops aren't going to are 45 minutes away. Yeah. So you, you have a gun and you can shoot that gun and you can spin around in a circle and shoot that gun in any direction. Cause it's probably not going to hit anybody. <laughs> and you know, like there's just less need for government and government. The idea of government seems so stupid and overbearing. And you're not wrong to think that if you're in the middle of Wyoming or any of those other States that shouldn't have two senators. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but then if you're living in the city, it is totally rational to have way more hyper legislation to have a, you know, the, the diversity of people you're going to encounter is greater. So you have to have a less pre, uh, preconceptions when you meet someone. So life in a city is so different from life outside. And that I I've said this before on this podcast. I think that's arguably the main force driving the different pull of the, of the parties. And that's why that it, it seems so easy to, it seems so rational to someone who hates the government because they don't see the need for it. They might be right because the level of government in their state might be calibrated for cities and they don't need that. Coronavirus reflects this dynamic very well. Like information though, like knowledge, there's other things that diffuse throughout society the coronavirus is eventually going to get there. And that's the mistake, is thinking that it won't impact you. So um, they're wrong to think that uh, because it's happening to cities, well, I'll just, I'm going to map onto the situation all of the stories I have about cities, which are racist and have to do with poor management from the Democratic mayors and stuff, and then that safely inoculates me. No, 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 you're not inoculated. And now we're figuring that out. So I think it's um, simpler... I, I think that is astute analysis and is a, a, a applying an analysis to. I don't think those people are thinking that deeply about it, though. I think maybe that, that's how it. it well, no, I mean, I'm just lives. saying that's like the yeah. that's the impulse. Yeah, I guess so. I, I think in their lives, I think they're just. It's the same deal where like, I, I, how do you then feel about the people in those areas where they're just insistent on maybe not wearing a mask? Where I'm like, I'm sure people have seen by now on YouTube or whatever, like the videos of Karens and all these people freaking out. Um, in well, Walmart, someplace in a rural place, it's like it's, yeah. it infringes on my rights to wear a mask or whatever. That is so much part of their ethic, where it's like, well, like yeah. the, the, what is sold to them about America is like I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm like, well, you realize that that kind of falls apart. Like, yeah, you, I think you, you, the, like it's you do rely on other people to the, a certain extent. This hyper, oh, to a yeah. huge extent, and that's yeah. the that's the we we actually made this point in the previous podcast. We got to stop referring to this last podcast. This is this this is its own episode. This is its own okay. episode, everybody. The uh, the Thatcherite idea that there is no society is you know this sort of li- neoliberal project to 
tell you that anything, you know, personal responsibility means uh, that everyone, you don't, ha- you don't, you're not accountable to anyone. Mm-hmm. It's the lie that you're not accountable to anyone. And, um, you know, like there's this like government phobia that is now, you know, like, and has been for a while, the, the main uh, dogma on the right. And if, if you're in favor of free markets, you're in favor of, you have a phobia of the, of the state. And that that assumes that there's nothing for the government to do, and this proves that there is. Okay. Like your point about uh, not wearing a mask in Walmart, like those people, I think, have bought into a worldview that totally doesn't see the substrate of that of society. Yeah. Like, or society is something that I elect to participate in, and that's why it, it's more meaningful when my neighbors say hello to me or help me out, whatever. Like that's, you know, society is what we choose to participate in, ignoring the fact that you're already part of a substrate of society, whether you like it or not. And again, this is why COVID is a perfect Rorschach test. You don't have a choice about whether to acknowledge public health or not. It is a real concept. And what other people do around you is what affects you. And there's no, the partitioning is not possible to the degree that has been sold. So I think that this is, an exp- you know, that ex- it explodes that myth too. I actually, I oh sorry to interrupt your point, but I, I actually have a interesting. So there's the there's the two directions we could see it. We could see that there's that fall surge that they predicted, and that happens with viruses of this nature sometimes, and then that is happened that happened last time. There's a global pandemic with the Spanish flu, but what do you think the outcomes would be? Let's say that it just continues on this downward trend. The the national trend right now is that there are still people being infected. Certain areas are certainly at risk, and others, but like more or less, the the arrow. If you looked at the New York Times like coronavirus tracker, the arrow is on the the downward. For the, for where? For the entire nation. Like it's like if you look, I'll show That's, you the end infections. Oh, like so like like yeah, I'll show you the I I check it. I, every I trust day. you. Go on. Um, but so I'm I. I'm cautious about, uh, or I don't know what it is, but I think it'd be interesting for us to think about that scenario because I think there's a very much like bad scenario for the political outcomes of people that are in cities that maybe are more invested in a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris president administration. Because I think that like come October, November, if there's no second surge, there's a very real political reality that Donald Trump is just like, see, I told you it was fine. Like the Democrats just tried to scare you. <laughs> and and most people would buy it or a lot of people would buy it. A lot more people than you would think that are in, you know, maybe Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. That's an interesting point. Yeah. So you're saying like uh, given that, so making this election about, COVID, which is kind of what Biden's doing, provided he doesn't get COVID or die of some other thing before he not and not outside the realm of possibility. No, it's not. Um, (laughs) It's interesting. I mean, I I personally, I mean, yeah, your theory definitely is possible. Um, I personally think. I guess we're switching into the political prognostication part, which I don't want to weigh too much because I thought that Trump was going to lose last time, but I think that people are sick of him i think like I, I agree that people are sick of trump a lot of people are other people are i think come november if the arrow is pointing in the other direction that's going to be a goal for the donald trump campaign uh, yeah like, that's true yeah like, and i think that's just and that i don't know if that was a calculated risk on their on their part where they're like oh well you know and again it could very much go up i'm not saying either or is going to happen we could stay the same go down go up i don't know what's going to happen you know, like we. Uh, I think it'll. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. We don't know. Um, 
I just assume like everyone else that dr- being driven inside is going to will get stir crazy and then be inside more. I think being inside is what does it. That's my yeah. own personal theory. Yeah, is what spreads it more. Yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're right. So w- the winter time will be. Yeah, and going back to bubble life is is gonna suck. Yeah, it is. Gonna so be like be, yeah. you know because if there's only a few people you can be inside with, and I think that'll what really. Um, let's take the Trump topic into the second segment, which is uh, the disintegration of the United States. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but this country, the fault. wheels are coming <laughs> off this bitch. And, um, you know, uh, the the thing I wanted to say about this is that uh, is that I do honestly think that more of our... So the situation that we find ourselves in right now, just to level set is that it really does not seem like this country is going to sustain at this current rate for much longer. It is we've we've joked about a lot on this podcast especially the civil war and stuff we've been talking about it for a long time. It really seems like now we're entering a part a point where now political violence is becoming normal. Um there the last couple of protests have all included fatalities uh and they're partisan fatalities. They're like this gang shooting that gang. So the the, the sort of generally accepted idea is that, uh, I, I, in my opinion, is that these are long-standing grievances that are finally being laid bare. I mean, that maybe that's only standard cant in our neck of the woods where, you know, we all kind of subscribe to a class-first politics that see you know, basically accelerationist. Like, we see all of this as, like, the just failure of the elites to govern, which is not wrong. But um, I do also think, though, that Trump is specifically... Um, oh God, this sounds so obvious to say, but like I think that Trump is specifically a, a major problem of our divisions, and that um, what his role has been in cleaving the U.S. is that he took existing divisions that have always been there and made them. Uh, he unified them with the idea of the United States, so that what the United States means is that we're in a fight, and that's exhausting. And um, like getting him out of office won't solve everything at a, by a long shot but i do think that like the temperature on the stove gets turned down and people no longer associate just like well, how do i engage in public with i'm going to fight the other in the mid 90s we think do like the timothy mcveigh oklahoma city bombing or waco or uh, ruby ridge that kind of stuff which was kind of like a precursor to the disaffected white people that are now more numerous better armed and uh, way angrier, w- way angrier than they were, and also essentially enabled by w- the head of state and head of government, um, or, or enabled to a certain extent, where he won't disavow or disacknowledge them, won't disavow. He, he supports Kyle Rittenhouse right now. I mean, he's definitely yeah. like throwing his support behind it. Exactly, a seventeen-year-old whose mom th- had dropped him off at a protest with an AR-15. Yeah, that's like. Do you think that Timothy McVeigh would be lauded on the right now? Interesting question. Uh, I think you. I think by a certain sector of the right, for a lot of the '90s, a very unvocal part he was for the. Uh, and now, probably if, if that had happened today, I don't know because the Oklahoma City bombing was huge, and it also killed a lot of children. Children. <laughs> so like that's so like you know now like it's easy to pass off these like one-off shootings where it's between like very vocal members of those rival gangs that you've mentioned, which both have l- to. I think some. I mean, certainly the protesters on. The Black Lives Matter side. I sympathi- I'm sympathetic to their cause and understand where their co- cause is coming from and their anti police violence. Whereas the people on the right are kind of like this scattershot hodgepodge of people that are like either pro, like are 
secretly racist and pro, just pro using pro cop uh, attitudes to protect that, or openly racist and using this to enable them. Or there's like I mean the, even think about like what's going on with the Boogaloo Boys. Those are like that that movement, which is technically anti cop, right. but is clearly tied up with a right wing kind of uh, militia and and uh, bent. You know, like where it's like okay, well I want to separate myself from the state. Um, it's kind of actually kind of circling back to what you were saying before about how there's these these rural and suburban areas, maybe mostly rural, I would say, that they don't see a need for the state as much. That is actually kind of an inroad. I've been reading a lot about how that is an inroad for a lot of right-wing groups, like right-wing militias and right-wing like violence groups to to replace state actions and kind of fill that gap where maybe they don't, they kind of like subsume those groups of people where it's like, well, yeah, the cops couldn't come because this government. So they want to be like Somali warlords, where right? Because the government is too weak and distant. We'll just go, we'll we'll provide the government. They're they're filling in a vacuum, uh, like they're 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 filling in a gap in that space where it's like, I think those people kind of see that space as a fill. You know, space. and the funny thing about that is that the gap shouldn't be there. The gap ought to be like the social contract. Like the government is still the government. They have a monopoly on violence, but like the thing that provides governance is that like. You know, like theoretically, there should be this. This also goes to the abolish the police argument, which is a ridiculous, I think, idea. Even though I have a bunch of signs that I made that say that, <laughs> um, I was just being a conformist. Yeah. But um, like, if you get rid of the cops, you'll just have something else that doesn't. That's not democratically elected right. shooting you instead. Yeah. Um, and it will be on their whim, and it'll probably be paid for by the companies whose building you're standing next to. But like, theoretically, the social contract is something that like all of these institutions are authorized by and that we want to uphold. So that to the Boogaloo point, <laughs> the, Boogs. the Boogs point, just because I don't see the government near me doesn't mean that I need to replace it or find or like create something more functional or legitimate. Like it's supposed to be the government is just a, a formalization of the social contract that is unifying all of us, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's such a, it's such an, atomized way to view the world if you if you see no cops or whatever in your immediate horizon and you think oh it's open territory yeah but i mean there's i agree with that but then there's got to be something i mean uh, we shouldn't talk about cover written house because we're probably not equipped to talk maybe we will but like well, what's the contract like uh, what's to, there to, me, to talk about he i mean uh, fucking, uh, like, I, there's no controversy there you're right the kid, the, it's but what i mean some 17 year old moron who clearly didn't have the correct guidance the, here's, here's what to talk yeah. about with Kyle Rittenhouse that is what a young kid thinks a cop is now right that it explodes the idea that like the cops are I mean look I empathize with police having a tough job and stuff I honestly think that society asked them to do an impossible thing and we should ask them to do less and like they, the reason they have so much authority is because they have so much responsibility yeah we've just conveniently offloaded it on right. them which we so should think about ways that done yeah like yeah but that bottom line is that like while that may be true it's Kyle Rittenhouse proves that out of the mouths of babes, you know, like he wanted to be a cop because he wanted to be able to shoot people with impunity. But do, and he wanted that because he was like, was his life that bad? You know, was it like it, he's he clearly had the means to get an assault rifle. You know, like he either played like I don't want to be the person that blames video games on it, but like he was a disaffected kid. Or is rather, he's still around. Like who's probably more disaffected now? I'm guessing for sure. And whose life is now ruined, and also he ended somebody else's life whose their life has been terminated. And what got him there, though? Like, what could you imagine? You and I at 17 having 
the balls or that these kids do all these, there's a lot more of them out there to just be like, okay, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to have my mom drop me off in, in Greenwich to go <laughs> like patrol the area. Like I, like that wasn't even, on, was a, that wasn't no. even on my radar. Like the idea of like activating to that was like, my idea was like, am, am I going to go to this concert in the city? Like right. that's like, that's the idea. He's basically like, a like, school shooter that just found a more legitimized uh, route to getting that level of frustration out. Um, like, because he's extremely online. Or whatever, that, that's know, like, that's kind of what I'm driving at. Whereas that, like, the internet kind of does unhealth and it's a, a public health crisis unto itself. And also, the companies, the media companies that have dominated the infrastructure of the internet, are just conveniently using it to stoke people on the left and right. I would say mostly on the right, but like, I, I think it incites people to violence in a way that, like, and is programmed in an addictive way to get these to further push these people down a rabbit hole that would make them commit to actions in real life that they previous if not interacting with that that space would yeah. not would be would be just a normal kid but this is actually but, so i agree with you and actually though this goes to why i made the previously the, the obvious point about trump previously is that there are there is no shortage of causes that we could identify for the general dissolution of the society and the cleaving of it um and the, you know, I, I emailed you this, like you know, when when society or when when historians look at um, like the f at this period from the future, they're not going to have a clean question that that divided us. There's no wedge issue. There's no one wedge issue the way that like slavery divided the Civil War era United States. Um, the president specifically being in office is a huge driver of um, this. Uh, the, the idea, the urgency of it, and like you know, thinking, you know, that 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 was my point. I, I agree with you, and it, it will be. That's kind of why maybe I asked the question about the implications of what happens with the virus going into the fall, and whether you know Biden Harris kind of just like resoundingly win, and if like let's say they win po popular vote and a kind of massive electoral landslide, um, what happens to the these groups that have now been already in bolt? Like, is it already too late? And I'm I'm kind of thinking it is like I think I think a lot of those groups. So you're thinking you think there's going to be like an American IRA? Yes, I think. Except the difference is that the IRA had to get like their weapons and money and stuff from either like selling drugs or like moving and moving guns across state lines that were hard to do or were like also agents of like you know deep state actors like the CIA and KGB. <laughs> um, but like the the IRA was like oh really? Yeah, they were definitely. I mean, like Ireland doesn't allow for like the weapons that they had they, they got in there somewhere i should have i should have expected that, but that. the difference is in america those people have th there's you the weapons are there everyone's already armed not me but like they're the pump is primed and they have all the yeah. the tools to to make it happen so yeah, like, like, like timothy mcveigh who had to go like actively in a time which i also again i don't like timothy mcveigh but you got to respect the ingenuity for like the the late 80s and mid 90s terrorists who actually got their hands on like the weapons that they did because it was a lot harder to do that now, like now i wonder where kaczynski would have fit into today's he would be like just you know that gif of homer backing up through the bushes <laughs> he would show up with his mail bomb and watch some fucking fat ass in a hawaiian shirt uh shooting at a like completely covered up uh like black nationalist white guy yeah. and just back up into the bushes being like, <laughs> I am not needed here. <laughs> you guys are exploding yourself. He's like, I'll just go back. I was fine in the woods. You guys, you yeah. guys have done it yourself. I guess my cabin's okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to uh, a fun topic when in the realm of... Um, yes, Seamus. Yes. Seamus is here. 
Good boy. Um, Chambers is such a good boy. Yes. Um, in the realm of uh, social dissolution, which is sports. And um, so sports are back. They've yeah. been back. Uh, the White Sox are so much fun to watch. The Mets are trash. The Mets are trash. Um, and um, what has happened in the political realm with them is that, uh, you know, like there was right after the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, the Milwaukee Bucks decided to do an unprecedented thing, which was to not play. Um, and this is this didn't come out of nowhere. This comes on the heels of... Um, a lot of actually activism coming out of the NBA over the last couple of years, like the Miami Heat, I remember wore the um, hoodies like after Trayvon. Oh yeah. Um, they wore "I Can't Breathe" after shirts after Eric Garner, and um, LeBron has been a very vocal um, voice for not just um, pro communist uh, Hong Kong <laughs> rhetoric, uh, because that's the last person who that's the last conference room he was sitting in. That day, but um, but for really good causes, where he's using his platform to drive, like a pro-social message, and what all of this has added up to, is that basically in a culture that is completely splitting down the middle, sports is increasingly becoming um, something that is inaccessible to like the right. You know, like sports is becoming politicized, and all the shut up and dribble stuff, and like you know, I don't need to hear from you. You're an athlete, and that is quaint now. And I remember watching ESPN um, like years ago and just like resenting that I could go there for escapism because there was real stuff happening in the world, but ESPN specifically and sports media in general were havens from that. And there's no havens anymore. And personally, I think this is a really good thing because as you said in your newsletter, Ask or not, you know, newsletter is not called Ask Bri Bri. That's just one segment. That's one segment, but we'll take it. It's Bri Bri letters. We'll call it. Yeah, my my blog slash Sean newsletter. Dealer quote. Yeah, um, sports are the reward. For, uh, sports are the reward for a functioning society. Yeah, that's amazing. Sports yeah. are the are basically the emoluments of a functional society. Like, yes, totally. It was like kind of watching him say it. When I looked it up, I was like, and watched. I was like, I thought it would have been a prepared statement. You just see him say it in kind of conversation with the press, which is kind of even more impressive. Um, let's get Sean Doolittle on the cast. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's right. Like, if you look at when sports, organized sports started to emerge, it's like the, you know, industrialization had to happen first, you know? Right. And like, so, um, but now that the entire culture is deciding like, okay, who owns what? Like, I, I'm imagining like, you know, the divorced couple like painting a, a line down the house. Like, you stay on that side, I'll stay on this side. Um uh, or divorcing and who gets what assets. Sports belongs to African Americans. It belongs to cities. You know, th so it is kind of like a thing that like our side has to have. And and the fact that like um, essentially Trump people forced to choose are forced to not be able to enjoy it. You know, and it's it is a little bit comforting and also a little bit. It's it's perplexing to me sometimes too because it is I agree with you that it's like it's kind of a, a space where you know the side that I'm on is winning I mean one of the more powerful on top of the the Bucks walking out and all the other NBA teams following um, the Mets the one successful thing they have pulled off this season was that in order to protest the Mets and Marlins were scheduled to play a game that day they uh, came out for the opening pitch um, uh, and essentially just walked off the field and the Marlins, the Mets and Marlins had a moment of silence for 42 seconds uh, in honor of Jackie Robinson. And it was very powerful. And Dominic Smith, the only 
good player on the Mets right now, one of the very few, and well, one of the few black players on the team, had a very emotional press conference, spoke very uh, candidly about how hard it is to be actually in a sport that is having decreasing black representation, how to be a black person in that sport. It was great. It was one of the few great things they did. Um, but it's interesting to watch them, the other side, just the, the shut up and dribble or shut up and play thing doesn't work because you're just like, they, they, they legitimately feel this way and they can withhold this thing from you. You don't get to have it. And I'm like, did you really then, did you ever like football or did you ever like baseball or did you like basketball? Like, did, or are is did you only ever see sports in this racial context of like I need these African Americans to play ball for me and if they don't and if they don't do it within the guidelines that I've outlined then uh, I'm just not I'm just going to withhold my uh, viewership from this. I mean, yeah, no, totally. Sports has always been about narratives though. Like if you if you, I mean try watching a sport that you'd have no stake in, it's really tough. You know, unless you have money on it, which is a stake. Well, but that's yeah, that's the, the thing. The reason yeah. betting is so popular and such a way to enjoy it is because it creates a narrative with personal stakes but if you if you're watching it and your story has changed then i think it's a legitimate reason to say that you're you're not able to enjoy it anymore i think it's stupid um but like to let i mean it, or actually it's not stupid it makes sense it's just funny for me and i it is with schadenfreude that i watch all of the white nationalist contingent of our country who would rather have a white supremacist state than a functioning de- inclusive democracy. Uh, all, like, well, if you're going to go on that side, then we're going to keep pro sports. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, exactly. And it's the biggest moment of Shaden Freud was when I sent you earlier today was that Nick Saban, coach of uh, Alabama, the football team, one of the highest paid public employees in the world, uh, yeah. or in the United States, rather. Um, and, you know, the the coach of a like, good old boy Roll Tide team Walked in solidarity with his players and in a racial justice march, and I'm like, the, I and was, he has to. He probably doesn't have personal politics that agree with that, but he just. Has but to he do. has to, and so it is kind of a, exactly that's my point. Function. It, 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 exactly, and so then are are all the Roll Tide fans gonna? They they have to confront that reality. Like yeah. the, like you, what was a big part of your life and your culture is now a a. a confrontation, a point of confrontation, and so now you have to reconcile, and you have to make that conscious decision. You're like. I'm going to withhold my viewership. Right. And the thing that I, the reason I think this is a positive thing is because Roll Tide is a perfect example. Cause I mean, like, I'm sure, like, they're, you know, the Cowboys fans, like, fuck, they don't give a shit. Like, they're, they're, they were fake fans anyway. But like, for college football in this, this, this SEC, podcast was all about getting Cowboys fans. <laughs> That's all. And Packers fans too. <laughs> but, but Roll Tide fan like, or Crimson Tide fans are genuinely socially sutured to that, that team, which is a joke, first of all, because, the SEC teams are basically uh, f- professional teams that license the uh, I- icons of the these you know public institutions and just don't pay for their labor. Well, it's it's a twofold but, win. <laughs> that's why college football is such a twofold. Oh, sorry to step on your point, but that's why it's such a twofold win because it's a forcing you to confront the idea that this is a you have a implicit like racial bias in your thought. Like you're if you're going to withhold your viewership, you're doing it because of, of on racist grounds. Or a prejudice that exists in you, and then the second is that you recognize that also that even though this this institution that you had uh, you know attached yourself to is kind of riding on this 
unsustainable. It never, it never belonged to. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it was a completely unsustainable thing that while sports were the reward for a function, functioning society, that's no longer tenable. And we're going to have to confront these things now yeah. if we want to get back to that. And we're going to have to have that conversation. And The yeah. end of America comes when the, when the two sides, whatever, or the multiple sides, the multiple factions, whatever, don't see it as, as net beneficial to make common cause with the other side. Okay? Um, and right now we're in that situation. Like we have a stable, uh, it's been stable. And so it's, it's fraying, but it's still mainly together. But the direction it's headed in is one is of dissolution. Um, and if we want the United States to continue, which, you know, there's pros and cons, but, um, uh, if you want the society to remain civil, there has to be something that you want to latch on to something from the, let's just call it the other side that you want on your own. And Roll Tide could be part of that. Yeah. And seeing it separate from you, watching this iceberg float away from you um, because you now no longer can engage. You, you think they're anti-American and you don't like what they stand for. And so now the story you tell yourself about what the Crimson Tide football team um, you know, means to you is, is separated. And it's a, it's a painful divorce that you're going through emotionally. If you want that back, the price of that is social unification. So it could be a good thing. I mean, overall, I think it was always pretty crazy that, like, and maybe a sign of just how cohesive the society can be, that, like, you know, fundamentally conservative sports culture just elided the fact that it was being populated by, you know, young people of color. And um, it, it, it was always a tension that was bubbling under the surface, and just exposing it has, has been a moment of realness. Well, and th- th- I think that's something that, the political elites or political leaders of this country need to latch on to and and provide a coherent vision for that to give those people something on the horizon being like if we get through this if we do this and if you participate in the society and do it in this way then you can get that and that's fine and like we all have to like and you can get to we can go back to eating hot dogs and tailgating at 10 a.m for the roll tide game and we can go and that's what you want and we can go back in other words if sports are the reward of a functional society then it's having a that reward is important it's a carrot yes but like if people don't if nobody offers a vision for what that is then i mean i'm not justifying but like i see where those people end up in that in that vector like where there's like okay well what what else this society has has not delivered on the last thing that i wanted so then i'm and i already like you know i don't if I don't have a job, I don't have food, I don't have housing, and I don't have at least a thing to distract me from all those other three things that I don't have, then the, then I my the, my I mean, part, I my participation in this is over. Like I mean, most of the the right wing has jobs; they're doing just fine. They're very middle class. But I definitely agree with your point that sports brings us together. It does. Uh, Brian, uh, you got anything to plug? Uh, I'm just thinking about that pizza we're gonna order. Um, mm. We got Bri- mm. uh, um, Bri Bri. Dot substack.com. Well, I'm excited to plug the AC back in. Oh so boy, can... it's hot in here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we've, been, we've been, for you, for this vocation, we've turned off the AC <laughs> in this, on this humid September day. All right, um, let's do it. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye bye. What was bothering mob and wise words forever remain dealing with these modern day problems because of ignorance surrounding me and my constituents. Too many affected, too many lives diminishing. Nobody saved Protestants, Jews, blacks, and whites, Latinos, and Asians. Pray together, let's fight. We better unite as genocide, chemical war, and the rich and the poor. Know the gods